The great comparative literature and mythology professor Joseph Campbell once said, follow your bliss and don't be afraid. And doors will open where you did not know they were going to be. The spirit of the podcast is to learn how former Wego Wildcats followed their bliss and for us to get inspired and learn from their stories. Welcome to Wego Places. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at West Chicago High School since 2001. Today's guest is Rick Camp from the class of 2004. Rick began his studies at NIU in music education. However, his path eventually led him to major in radio and television broadcasting at the Illinois Center for Broadcasting. Currently, Rick is an associate producer for the Bernstein McKnight Show and the Lawrence Home Show at WSCR 670 The Score. As if Rick isn't busy enough, he's also an instructor and assistant program director at the Illinois Media School in Lombard, Illinois. He's also a co-host of the I Am Fat podcast. And as far as I know, he's the only Twitter verified blue check graduate from WeGo. Okay, we're going to welcome Rick Camp, class of 2004 to the... Rick, tell us what you do. I'm a radio producer at 670 The Score. I am on the board producing sound for Bernstein and McKnight. I'm also riding sidecars, so booking guests and screening phone calls for the Lawrence Holmes Show. Get to host a little bit on the weekend. I'm also an instructor at the Illinois Media School. How did you come to The Score? And what, where? Did, so when you left, when you left WeGo, uh, you went off to Northern Illinois. So how did you get from Northern to, to the radio? It's definitely not the most direct path or a path I'd really recommend for anybody, but uh, I went initially to NIU as a music education major. I wanted to be a high school band director. I was in marching band, concert band for four years, uh, jazz band for three years at WeGo, and also did the pit for the musicals a couple times. So uh, I had a lot of experience in music, and that kept going in college, but once I realized I didn't want to do music education anymore, after a year and a half, I switched to journalism. And quite honestly, I, I couldn't I couldn't get focused, partially because of hanging out with people and all the things you normally think of, but also part of it was just not really hitting exactly what I wanted to do. And I had always kind of known it was either music education or radio, but I thought journalism might have been a smarter path. So to be honest, I got really apathetic about my studies, and I ended up flunking out of Northern, uh, which is something that you know I don't necessarily tell a lot of people. But for future student, for students that are listening to this, you know, I don't want people to, to make the same mistakes I did. I did. It's the same thing that my dad would always tell me for motivation. Do you really want to end up like me? Uh, so after leaving Northern. I went to COD for a semester, finished up some gen eds, and then I went to the Illinois Media School, started there the June Day class of 2009. A lot of great people in my class that were really creative, really helped push me forward. I did a sports talk show for eight months on their internet sports station, did some play-by-play and some color commentary for high school games as well, and really just kind of immersed myself in the radio experience, got an internship at 670 The Score. So I got that, and I was working the Molly and Hanley show, which is the morning show. My shift was 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m., and that was Mondays and Fridays. And that was also while I was going to school for 20-plus hours a week, doing my show, doing the other play-by-play color commentary, and working 30-plus hours. So uh, sleep was kind of – it really wasn't great. I wasn't getting much sleep at that point. But um, once I graduated in in March of 2010 – 
I started working at the school immediately, working for the sports station. And after that, I got a job in Aurora at WBIG, who broadcast the Kane County Cougars games. It's a real tiny station, 1,000 watts during the day, 500 at night. So really not much broadcasting power, and I ran, the, I ran the board. So I was the one pressing the commercials, cutting highlights for Kent County Cougars games. Also, they were, they were a Bears radio affiliate, so I had to be there on Sundays, make sure that the Bears broadcast was going out over the air. And after a couple of years of you know interviewing a couple times at the score for producer jobs and not getting them, I interviewed a third time, ended up getting the job. And all those other experiences before that, led to me getting that job and that some people I still talk to from the score recognized my name and recommended me to, to our, uh, my boss, Mitch Rosen. And from there, it was just working part-time, doing literally everything I could, never saying no, and getting to the point where I was trusted full-time after being part-time for five years and uh, started working the Spiegel and Parkins show and now Bernstein and McKnight, now Lawrence Holmes and getting some hosting opportunities on the weekend. So it's a, a long winding path but that, that I hope other people can learn from more than anything else. But yeah, well, I think the important part of that is that you kept your feet moving despite the fact that you maybe stumbled a little bit at Northern and that must have been not easy to have uh, try to find a new direction after that but i mean what you what you did is that you just you kept on grinding uh and you found this niche that you love so much i think that's really that's really great the now in part of your job you said that you kind of you so you you do the board operator so and then you have to book guests and some of the other kind of cutting can you kind of kind of walk me through what is it like so what's your day, you, it sounds like you wake up fairly early to get downtown, but then what are some of those tasks that you do behind the scenes? Because I think a lot of people hear the radio personalities, but there's so much more that goes on technically uh, that the producer brings to that, that I think a lot of people don't really appreciate or even know. So uh, kind of give us a, a glimpse of what that looks like. Yeah, uh, on a Monday through Friday, the show that I work, the first show that I work, Bernstein and McKnight, is 9 to noon. So I wake up, and I live in Lombard, so I'm, I'm decent away from the city, but, uh, you know, still relatively right. close, at least compared at least compared to West Chicago. So I, uh, I wake up at, at quarter after four, catch the first train out in the morning, which is, and I get to the city at around, and to the station at 6.30. So from that point, uh, all the live reads that you hear hosts do, I look at our log that we have, and write down the times on those and pretty much try and make those reads idiot proof for the hosts. So they can be thinking about whatever their thought or their actual sports thought is their content. And they can just pick up a read, maybe give themselves a break and whenever they have to do those, do those. The other thing is all the sound from the night. We get a thing called a cut sheet, which is all the pertinent sound that was cut from the night before that's already in our system. I go back and listen to it, find the good stuff, and if there's anything that I think, hey, we have to play this today, I'll let the host know about it. And also, I try and find some fun stuff. A lot of times on the show, uh, people probably don't know the name Mike Francesa, but he's considered the sports radio pope. He's just an older dude that probably shouldn't be hosting a sports talk show anymore, and he's doing it in New York, and he messes up all the time. So if I can get fun audio from that or pe other people at the station – that are doing so, or just any fun audio I can find to lighten the mood a little bit. Because there are days where it's a lot of heavy stuff. You just need something to make you laugh in the middle of the show. So anytime I can do that, 
I, I'm trying to do that as well. So I'm kind of basically curtailing audio based on what I already know that the hosts are going to want to talk about because we have a text thread that goes pretty much all day, all night. And from there, I have to create opens. So when you hear production pieces, if you hear whooshes and, and voiceover sounds, uh, you know, I set up my open for the show to where it's just a template. So a lot of the stuff is the same every day. All I have to do is find the right 45 seconds of content from the previous day's show and just slap it into that open. And I kind of set up those as well. And same with uh, individual guests that we have that are consistent guests. They all have their own production pieces. And then once I get on the board for a show, it's really just applying all that audio, all the prep. If, if there's, let's say, a funny two-minute piece of audio. We had one today, our overnight host. Wes Grobstein had a caller who was very much against the automated strike zone, but they call it robot umpires. They think it's literally going to be a robot. So she was talking about how she likes humans and humankind and that humans should, should, you know, be able to have as many jobs as they want. And it was a really odd conversation. That sounds kind of dumb out of context, but you know, we end up rolling with it. And, uh, and all I did is I took that full audio, had it in the system so we could play it to provide the context for everybody. And then I cut it up into a bunch of little individual drops. So I have this this random older sounding lady saying, humans are exceptional. And just odd things like that. So then I can just put, add that audio to my library. So the more shows we do, we have more audio that I can call back to and try and enhance the show you know, being able to do stuff that way. And then with Lawrence's show from noon to two after that, I'm in touch with Lawrence and the other producer, Tony Gill, about what they want to do if there are any guests that I need to book, because there's a little less on my plate for that show just because I'm working the show before it. But if it's getting guests from downstairs when they're in studio, if it's screening the calls for whatever the topic is that Lawrence wants to get into so that way we're not getting off topic with what a caller brings up, if it's maybe finding a piece of audio while Tony is on the board and he's the one running the commercials and playing all the sound that, you know, maybe something that we don't have in the system that comes up in the middle of conversation. So that's, uh, that's kind of the gist of it. And then when the shows need to be podcasted, a lot of times I take care of that too. You have to synthesize so much content. And that, I mean, that's what you were just explaining very well there. And I was wondering about your presence to kind of scour social media, especially Twitter is such a rich resource with that. Does that make your job easier or harder? Because to some extent it's easier because maybe it can drop in your lap, but is it harder because there's just so much of it to cull through? I was wondering how you are able to use social media to also augment your, uh, your production uh, quality as well. Social media is a life saver. Uh, you know, I, part of part of my Twitter experience, especially because, as you mentioned, Twitter is for my purposes for work. Twitter is the best. Now, the guy I work with, uh, Bernstein and McKnight, the other producer, Jay Zawoski, he looks more at Instagram. So a lot of times he'll take care of Instagram and just kind of monitoring it, and I'll take care of Twitter. But I curtail my who I follow to obviously stuff that I'm interested in and news breakers and beat writers and everything of that ilk. But it's also uh, people like there's the, I mentioned Mike Francesa before there's one Twitter account that just listens to his show and gets video clips. And it's at back after this. 
And that guy's a great follow, A, because he's just funny, and B, because he does a lot of the work of finding the, the good clips for me, because I'm not listening to New York radio when I'm on my way home, you know, like, I, I just see the, yeah, like, I see the clips from there, or if it's stuff, stuff like cut four for MLB that finds a lot of just oddities in baseball games, even if I don't like the way their audio is cut, like, let's say there are people that'll always take like take a video of their TV. So the sound quality isn't good. What I'll do is I'll look at the time of the game. I'll go back into our station MLB TV account and find better quality and maybe add more context to it and, you know, kind of take the audio that way. So I send myself an email every single night. So whether it's tweets or different articles I see or just random sources of audio that I find. So when I walk in in the morning and I'm half conscious, and I'm you know trying to figure out what we're going to do that day. I have this email for myself of everything from the night before that I found that I thought might even be halfway pertinent. So that way I can just click on those links, run the audio into our system, run it by the host, or if I know we're going to use it, get it into our system early. So that way, by the time we walk into our pre-show meeting at eight o'clock to talk about the topics of the day and the good sound that we have, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty well prepared going into that meeting. And, and at that point after that, it's just getting little things here and there that lead up to nine when we start. Is there a time of year that's more exciting to be at the station in terms of the convergence of so much sports or uh, is it all, is it always just a blast? I think the bears this past year was different it was the first time really since I'd been at the station and I started the Monday. I'll never forget. I got the call that I got the job the Monday after Thanksgiving, 2011. And ever since I've been there, the bears have been kind of really, really bad. So I haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to, to be at the station for good bears team. So this year was really interesting for that. Um, I was part time when the Cubs were going on their world series run and you know, I don't know that it's that much of a like claim to fame or anything, but I was the one that was cutting all the highlights during the World Series run. So I had some crazy timesheets in terms of how many hours I was working. But when you hear that Pat Hughes call of the World Series, uh, that was me that cut that audio. So I was the one there. I was there till five. I got there for Game Seven at three p.m. And didn't leave that next day until 5 a.m. Just getting all the possible audio off of all the local news networks, off of the, the you know the Fox broadcast, everything that we cut audio-wise, getting getting everything organized. So those are real fun times. I kind of like a lot of the down days though too, because it allows us to maybe have more fun, be more creative, get into things that maybe are a little off the beaten path. That if nothing else, the hosts are more passionate about than maybe the average person. I think one of the great things that really good hosts do is even if it's maybe not the most focused topic in the world for what we normally do, they make people care about it. So like any way that we get to do some of that stuff every once in a while is a nice change of pace. Yeah. One of the things that we were talking about before we started recording was that, you know, with sports, you, you really have to have your one foot in the passion that people have for the game, but you also have to have one foot in the other part, which is to deal with just the cold, hard facts of logic and statistics and all of that. How, how have you been able to 
thread the needle on both. I know I'm mixing my metaphors there, but like how you've been able to find the balance, especially when you have to deal with sometimes callers that aren't really interested in facts and are more wanting to kind of, you know, lead with passion when really there's facts that have to really, uh, you know, drive the the course of the, the discussion. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I was as big of a, a true fan as I was when I started. You know, it's just when you work in anything, I think, after a while, you know, you learn more about it. You learn how the sausage is made, especially with all these sports and everything that goes on behind the scenes there. And it kind of takes some of it away. Um, so, but like I had, like for me, I have, I have a passion for the NFL. I have a passion for the NBA a little bit less for baseball and hockey now, which has kind of changed over time. But for the sports in general and just watching greatness, I'm always here for that. But in terms of true just rooting for Chicago teams, regardless of if I think it's the most interesting thing in the world, I you know, it has changed. I maybe and it seems like a lot of people at, at work are that way, where they're not necessarily as passionate. I think we all have maybe one team, two teams that that we still have that for. For a lot of guys at the station, uh, it's their base. It's whichever baseball team is theirs. And yeah, we all like in the moment watching the Bears play. Right. But does a Bears did the Bears playoff loss really feel like a kick in the rocks for the next week for me? No, it, it, it was that way definitely for the next day, maybe two. But like the same way I felt it before, I'd be lying if I said it was exactly the same, but I still enjoy it the same. I still love watching it because I love the sports as much as I ever have. Maybe just not necessarily rooting for the specific team that I did. You appreciate the craft and the chess game behind what the coaches are doing or uh, all of their various different strategies. So it, that that's a, it's, it's maybe it's a, a deeper appreciation of it. That Oh yeah. Like I got to work for uh, the first year I was producing our bears pre and post game show, which were always on location at a bar or a restaurant. I got to sit there for most of the season uh, with Matt Bowen who works for ESPN now and is one of the best X's and O's guys in the business. And also with uh, the old post-game show, uh, Doug Buffon and Ed Obradovich. And those two guys played for the Bears for over a decade. And Matt Bowen had a long NFL career. And just learning the game from them, like to have the Bears in in a – I'm never going to forget one of these because it was a Bears third and seven. Uh, The Bears had a bunch formation. This was in Mark Trussman's tenure. So the Bears, of course, lost the game. But it's a third and seven – just by looking at the formation and what personnel was in which part of the formation, Bowen, Matt Bowen looks at me and says, listen, these two guys that are part of the bunch are going to crisscross, and Elshon Jeffrey is going to run to the sticks and turn around, and Cutler's going to hit him between the one and the seven, and the Bears are going to get a first down. And I'll be damned if that wasn't exactly what happened. So it was just, you know, just that kind of stuff of appreciating the little details that, that are the keys for a guy like that that played in the league. And, and like, for me, I, I'm, I've turned into a huge NBA guy, always been, always been one, but just getting more into the nitty-gritty of it. And some of the stuff, it's angles of picks. It's just ways guys create space to get a shot off, that kind of thing. Those are the little things that those things get me going. Rick, you you also work for the School of Broadcast uh, as well. Um, what's the official title of the, of the school? 
the Illinois Media School. Used to be known as the Illinois Center of Broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, what do you do there? Mostly now, I've taken a bit of a step back compared to what I used to. When I, when I got full-time at the score, I had to take a bit of a step back from doing as much as I was. But I work with the sports station. There's an internet sports station that we run just as if it was uh, on air on terrestrial radio because internship opportunities are harder to come by now than they used to be. So if we can give that real-world experience, that's what we do. My title is technically assistant program director. So what I do is throughout the month I listen to student shows and just give them a little critique. Here's stuff you're doing good. Here's stuff that could have been better. Hey, you were talking about this topic. Maybe grab this piece of audio. Or, hey, in this topic there's this great stat that really would have driven your point home. And just teaching basics so that, you know, these students know, hey, at the beginning of the segment, say your names again because people are always tuning into the radio at different times. So you can't assume that you're getting, that everybody's getting in the car and turning you on at the beginning of a segment. So throughout your segment, you have to reset. Know the information about your guests. Be able to plug whatever they have going on. If it's a beat writer, maybe it's their recent, most recent story or layering topics is one of the big ones of not just saying, well, yeah, there's this. How about that whole deal? We don't want to do that. We want to have real layered topics because I, I can't even count the amount of times I've had to scold people for saying, well, that's just my opinion as justification for whatever their thought is. And it's just nails on a chalkboard. So I try and instill those basics and also try and help those students you know, move towards whatever they want to do. And like a perfect example, and mind you, this is one of our better ones. So of course I'm curtailing it to make me seem a little better at it than I am. Uh, Steve Muehlhausen was someone that came in as a student shortly after I graduated. And he came to myself and the guy who was the program director for the station at the time and said, hey, I want to talk about MMA. And this was really, this was 2010. So this was before it really taken off. And he's like, I just want to be able to do it. Wow. So we gave him the basics. He had the knowledge on the sport and he did a really good show, also did a podcast and got into writing. And now he's one of the main MMA writers for Yahoo. So, so it's pretty cool to have a guy that is, you know, flown out to every main fight. He's talking with everybody. He's breaking news. And he's someone that just kind of came into the Illinois media school like, hey, I want to work in media. And he found maybe not the most traditional job that a lot of people go to the school for in terms of being a writer. But he was able to do that. So I try and do that. And then once a month with Jonathan Hood of ESPN 1000, you know, yeah. flirting with the enemy, whatever. That's the kind of the joy of it is it's such a small knit community in Chicago media, especially with the sports side that everybody's kind of friends with everybody or they really don't like each other. It seems to be one of the two extremes. But, uh, Jonathan Hood and I will get all the students together. We'll listen to whatever their best stuff was from the month. We always give them three elements, their best rejoin from a break, tease of a topic going into a break and five to 10 minutes of content, whatever they think their best topic was from the month. We'll listen to it. We'll give our thoughts and try and, you know, really try and help them improve. And also it, it means everybody hears everybody else's stuff. So newer students hear stuff from people that are about to graduate and vice versa. So everybody learns from each other as well as from us. And they also network with each other because you never know who's going to end up where in this business. So, 
it's something where if you can network as much as you can with people, get to know the people, learn from everybody, that's kind of the long-winded version of what I do. And then when needed, I have taught classes before. Um, I've taught regular curriculum. There's also a sports emphasis program that uh, actually the first time we tried to do it at the school, before we really knew what we were doing with it, uh, they asked me to help write the curriculum from scratch. So I helped doing that as well. And I, I really enjoy teaching as well as, you know, as well as getting to do the broadcasting. Because remember, I initially went for music education out of high school because I like teaching. I, I think I've been okay at it. And I know it was something that my mom always pushed me towards because she thought I was good uh, with helping my brothers with that kind of stuff. So uh, she always wanted me to be a teacher. That was so interesting what you were saying about how you think of I, I guess this would be like a really English you know thing to to frame it as, but the way in which you talk about what is a text and it, the medium is so unique where you have to do the rejoinders, you have to lay, do all of the various different layers and kind of remind people of you know who your name is and all that because you're not the text is not a, it's not a paper. It's not a magazine article. It's, it, it is something that is an audio uh, medium that demands those types of reminders for all of the different challenges of, like you said, people drop in and out and they need to know why this person's promoting this. What is their angle on it? And they need to get kept up to speed and they need to have those different type of refreshers of that. And I think that's so interesting that, that doesn't happen by accident. That's a craft. That's something that needs to be monitored and needs to be developed and thought and by that. Such a, such a, yeah, that was such a cool way of uh, how you explained that. That makes a lot of sense because we would be doing the same thing if we were revising a paper. I mean, you're just doing the same thing for a different medium. That was really interesting. Oh. Yeah, and, and it's – it's not it's not that difficult like once you once you really drill it into your head but you know like if i have a guest coming on um as an example like i'll just throw like i i like having people on even if it's not necessarily the most pertinent topic when i host i like having people on i think write interesting stories so i've had i mean he's a hall of fame nfl writer so i'll, I'll intro a guest like uh you know Welcome back. I'm Rick Camp here with you on the score. We're going out to whatever the sponsor is for the hotline at the time. Talking with Dan Pompey. Follow him on Twitter at Dan Pompey. He's writing for The Athletic about the NFL and the Bears, and he wrote an interesting profile of, and then whatever then the topic ends up being. But really, it's you're fitting in all the pertinent information, fitting in a read a lot of times because they try and make uh, sponsor reads off of, you know, whatever we end up doing a lot on the show, at least hopefully that's the way the sales department should be doing their job. But, uh, but you know, we've got to kind of fit that stuff in casually because we know there's a lot of commercials anyway. So if there's stuff in segment, it's got to sound as much of a part of the conversation as humanly possible. And it just comes with reps. So much of this business and in really any business is just getting your repetitions doing whatever it is. You also, Rick, you have a podcast also published, or how do you say this, released through uh, CBS or The Score. It is called the I'm Fat Podcast. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so it, it started as just a bit. So the, when I got full-time for the first time, I was working the Spiegel and Parkins show. So I was with Matt Spiegel and Danny Parkins. And the, I already mentioned Jay, Jay Zawoski is the executive producer of the show. Uh, he's still the executive producer I work with on Bernstein and McKnight. 
and it was brought just Jay and I are I'm I'm definitely a fat guy and Jay is like a fat-ish guy with a lot of fat guy tendencies so it was just brought up as yeah when there were food topics it was we just fell into the I'm fat podcast was what we would call it because it would just be one quick segment and we do something on food and we go back to whatever the actual sports topic of the day was and then it just became a running bit that it was this podcast that didn't actually exist and then we had so many people asking for it to actually happen <laughs> that Jay and I quite frankly just said screw it and uh, and just went into it not really knowing what we were doing what exactly we were going to talk about and it's kind of turned into a thing where we talk about food we talk about fat culture every uh, March for March for March Madness we do the March fatness bracket which get, which is very interactive we always try and find ways to be interactive with our listeners so that way you know a, a podcast can be sort of a more, maybe not as much of a passive listen as much as you just kind of hit play and, and you go and you don't really necessarily feel a part of it, but we want to make it as interactive, make the listener feel like they're as much of a part of it as possible. So we let the listeners vote on whoever <laughs> wins each matchup. So like the first two years we've done it, pizza won the first March fatness and second, and this past year it was bacon that ended up winning. So two logical combatants that you would think would end up in what we call the onion ring of honor. So really just, we just try and fit in as many bits as we can. We talk about our food eating experiences. And it, I guess on some deeper level, even though we honestly don't think of it this way, it's that, you know, being fat's not great for you. However, there are a lot of people out there that are fat. And while, yeah, in some ways we're all trying to work to make ourselves better and healthier, you know, it's okay to you know, laugh at yourself. And I think that's the biggest thing that Jay and I try and do is we laugh at ourselves. We have fun with it. There's so many things that are so serious right now that, that people get into at all times that you just kind of need a break. And that's exactly what we do. If we're talking about a food experience we had, or like the most recent episode that we had talking about how fat people have to deal with commuting when you're going outside and it's in the summer, do's and don'ts like that's the kind of stuff that we like to do and how, how do you approach episode uh topics and organize that from a structural standpoint is it is it kind of a a free association or do you say look we're gonna both find the best brisket around and we're gonna and then we'll come back and reconvene and and talk about that like how, what's the what's the uh the manner by which you uh, it's not that structured the, a lot of times throughout the time that between episodes we have a pod the podcast has a twitter account at i'm fat pod and people will send us news stories or just funny lists that they see that are either food related or like kind of fat culture related, whether it's being able to find big clothes or whether it's fat people doing dumb things for food or something like that. And they'll send those our way and we'll just, you know, we'll put those aside. Well, I'll a lot of times put them in an email. So that way the morning of when we're going to record, we have topics laid out on the, and also just stuff that happens in our lives end up being the biggest part of it. And that way it's also genuine. It doesn't really feel forced. And then the day before we always put it out there, Hey, we're recording tomorrow. What are your ask a fat questions? What do we you know? What are other people going through in their lives or what do they want to know about? 
that, uh, you know, that, that we can talk about. And a lot of times we had one full episode where we got so many good questions. We said, you know what, forget the other stuff that we had, you know, kind of as a reward to listeners be like, Hey, you guys (laughs) gave us great questions. We just did an entire episode of ask fat questions. And so it's normally three topics or so. Sometimes it's like a list where we'll go through, like we've done Thanksgiving food. We had a big uh, Thanksgiving Turkey versus Christmas ham debate. We've done that one before and just kind of see where it goes. And sometimes from wherever our conversation takes us, that leads to a topic maybe for the next time or ask a fat questions. And so it's pretty, it's pretty free. It's pretty free flowing. We try and do about half the time in our topics and half the time with questions. So it's, it's, it maybe sounds a little more put together than it actually is, but I think it's just because we work with each other all the time. We work with our, each other every day, so we just know each other's tendencies. We know how we think, and it's pretty easy to, to have it come together. You have to watch sports. Like You can't not be well-versed in strategy and the, the goings-on and all of the patterns that occur in every in, in as many games as possible. Obviously, you have to prioritize Chicago sports principally, but then how are you able to what, – what what's your viewing calendar like daily, weekly, so you can be best prepared for your job? My wife would say too busy is exactly what it is. So like this time of year right now, we've got both baseball teams in town, and then I'm focusing a lot on the NBA playoffs. So it's also just kind of knowing who you're working with and what their preferences are. So there are times where like Jay and I balance each other as producers perfectly because when it comes to winter sports, he's a great resource on hockey. So when it came to the Blackhawks or national NHL stuff, he's right there for it. So quite honestly, I kind of punt on it. I didn't watch a whole lot of Blackhawks this year. I didn't, I don't know a ton about the NHL right now. Like some of the older stars, I still know them, but a lot of the younger guys I don't know a ton about, but I prioritize the NBA, so I'm big on that. And I mean, I try and watch as much baseball as I can, but uh, Quick Pitch is a great thing on MLB Network. Uh, MLB TV has condensed games that you can watch where it takes out every pitch and all every pitch that doesn't result in a strikeout or a ball in play. Yeah, it, it just yeah, it's it's basically just like Cliff Notes or Spark Notes, or whatever whatever the new version of that is. That's what it was, and you know, when I was in high school, so I don't know what it is now. Yeah, but like I, I mean, I'm I'm watching at least something every single night. There are obvious times for like you know special occasions where you just tell the people you're working with, hey, you know, like my it's my wife's birthday or something. I'm not going to be in front of the TV. So if there's anything you know you want, mark down a time and let me know and I can go grab it in the morning. But I watch a lot. I probably I think I watch more than maybe some some of the other producers, but I can pretty safely say that I've watched 90% of the NBA playoff games in their entirety. Uh whether it's after the fact or in real time and I've watched a good amount of White Sox. I've watched a lot of Cubs. I've tried to prioritize the Cubs more since the White Sox are, you know, they're on, they're not doing great at the moment. So, and they're not that, you know, it's tough to focus as much on the White Sox, even as a White Sox fan myself, because it's such a smaller portion of the fan base that you have to take those things into account when you're trying to uh, figure prioritize topics on a show. 
what a great problem to have, I suppose, right? Where you get to, you know, your work yeah. is a perfect Venn diagram of what it is that you would love to do anyway. So that's, uh, you, you figured it out. So Rick, thank you so much. And uh, with your, so much with your time today. And I was wondering if you could maybe leave us with uh, some words of, of wisdom or for our, our Wildcats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess the biggest one that the first one that came to mind is one that quite honestly, I still struggle with myself and it's be your own biggest advocate because no matter what field you're going into, no one's going to walk up to you and say, please, please, please take this job or, you know, do this gig or whatever it ends up being. You have to be out there and promoting yourself. You don't have to be arrogant about it. You don't have to be a jerk or self-centered or whatever, but know what you do well, trust yourself, and put yourself in the best position to succeed when opportunities come up. That's that's one of the biggest things and something that I, I feel like it had to have been written somewhere, but I'll be damned if I can find where, is do what you have to do to do what you want to do. And that's that's kind of what I've, I've, I always try and go by that. So when I think about, you know, being in broadcasting school, along with working 30 plus hours, just to be able to pay my bills and having the internship and having nights where I straight up did not sleep. There were times where I would have two nights a week that I did not sleep or had less than three hours of sleep. And I still had to get everything done and have it be at a, at a solid enough quality. So And that's gotten me to where I am now where, yeah, sports is my gig. Sports is my job, and I love it. Um, In in terms of anybody that's interested in getting into media of really any form, be creative and don't shy away from creativity. There are times where I wish I was creative as some of the people that I work with. So trial and error is a great thing. That's also like with with podcasts like this, trial and error. Like I'm on Fat Podcast. There are times I do an intro and it is brutal. So I'll just pause and I'll start over. And it ends up being a lot better because I know what I did wrong. Those kind of things are great. And consume. Whatever you want to do, consume it. If it's media, like for me, I don't just listen to sports talk from Chicago. If there's breaking news in some other market, I'm listening to that market to hear what their style of sports radio is because it's not the same all the way across the country. Every market's a little bit different. So try and learn things here and there from whoever you can. If it's someone else that you work with and trying to adopt the way they do their job, something that might make you more organized or something, which is something that I, I've had problems with in the past. You know, just do that. Don't say no. If you can do something, then do it. If it's possible, do it. And I tried really hard to not say no to opportunities. I mean, I had a freelance gig twice for to do play-by-play for football for the North Dakota State College of Science, which I had no idea even existed, but they came to town to play the College of DuPage and they don't travel or broadcaster, so so I don't. So they got recommended, to, you know, they got my name and a recommendation, and you know, I took that gig, and it ended up helping me get a couple other freelance gigs along the way. And just don't burn your bridges. As fun as it may be to do that every once in a while, you never know who's going to come back into your life in one way, shape, or form. So please don't burn your bridges. And just, I guess the biggest thing is don't be afraid to be you. That's the, the 
biggest thing, especially in media, that people want are personalities. And if if people aren't genuine, people like listeners and viewers can read right through that in a heartbeat. Everybody knows who those people are that put on a face for whoever it is. If it's your, you know, a friend that's a different person when their significant others around or when their family is around, it's that same way in the workplace. So you're going to be the best version of you at work and at home when you're able to just be yourself and not think about every little thing and just focus on what you want to focus on. Yeah. I really like what you said there, Rick, about, you know, taking all the opportunities that were thrown at you. I mean, one could say like, oh, I'm not going to do the North Dakota State, you know, football. But like you took that as an opportunity to hone your craft and get better. And that opened up new doors, you know, for other opportunities uh, as well. I thought that was really Rick. Thanks so much. If this project keeps going, I, uh, we might have to do this again in a year or so. Yeah, absolutely. I, pre- I appreciate you reaching out to me. Because, you know, a lot of times I don't find myself that interesting. So you never know who, you know, you never know who's paying attention to you still. And I mean, I know we were saying before we started recording, I, I'm still floored that it's been 15 <laughs> no, years since I graduated from West Chicago. Yeah. I'm old, man. I know. Just wait. I know. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. But yeah. Any, anytime you need anything from me, by all means, you know, just say the word because and in terms of teachers that led me towards media, you were absolutely number one that did that for me in, in my time at West Chicago. Modern Media Seminar is something that I'll never forget and some of the projects we did there. So, uh, yeah, it's like expanding your thoughts in, in the media realm. You helped teach me how to, like, how to read media, how to view media, how to consume it, and how to, you know, analyze it. So it's something that's definitely benefited me a ton in my career. Uh, thank you so much, and that that uh, that that's uh, that's that's always worth its weight in gold when I when when teachers get to hear stuff like that. That that uh, that was great, Rick. Thank you so much, um, Rick. Again, thanks, and we will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to We Go Places. If you know of a great guest for this podcast, send me an email at b-t-u-r-n-b-a-u-g-h at d94.org. Music provided by Joe Villacat.